Welcome to the ProVest Perspective with Noel Swain, CFP, and host Pamela Lida. Noel is an investment advisor with Cambridge Investment Research, a monthly columnist for the Spartanburg Herald Journal newspaper, and has been interviewed many times on NPR. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready for some straightforward, honest talk. Now, here's Noel Swain and host Pamela Lida. A few episodes ago on the Provost Perspective, we started looking at common questions that many investors have, especially new investors, but they feel uncomfortable asking. We started off a couple of episodes ago talking about stock market basics, and we discussed the difference between the Dow Jones, S&P 500, and the NASDAQ, as well as we looked at why the Dow is valued so much higher than the S&P 500. And on our last episode, we talked about different investment types. We discussed the pros and cons of both stocks and bonds, the differences between passively managed and actively managed funds, as well as the differences between mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, and hedge funds. And we also touched on the six questions that you need to answer for yourself so that you know which investment type is right for you. Now, if you missed either show, you can get all of the information from both shows on a report, questions you were afraid to ask, and you can download it for free at our website, www.theprovestperspective.com. Again, that's www.theprovestperspective.com. Now, on this podcast, we're going to go into some details about bonds. Now, the first question that we're going to tackle today is, what's the difference between the different types of bonds? Well, hello. It's great to be on the podcast again. It's great to be talking about information that hopefully people can use whenever they are deciding what investments to get into or get out of whatever they want to do. As we said last week, when you buy a bond, you are lending money to the issuer, generally a company or the government. In return, the issuer promises to pay you a specified rate of return, and they do this on a regular basis and then repays the principal when the bond matures after a set period of time. As you know, the markets had a very up and down year in 2022. Because of this, many investors started showing a renewed interest in bonds because bonds tend to be less volatile than stocks, or that has been their history over time. And with the Rising interest rates, the interest in bonds continued in 2023. So what type of bonds are there and what's the difference? Well, there's several types of bonds to choose from, and each have different characteristics. All those options can be confusing, so I will give you a brief overview of the main types that investors have to choose from. And let's start with corporate bonds. Corporate bonds are issued by both public and private corporations. Companies use the proceeds of these bonds to buy new equipment, invest in new research, and expand into new markets, among other reasons, of course. These bonds are usually evaluated by credit rating agencies based on the risk of the company that may default on its debt. Corporate bonds can be broken down into two subcategories, investment-grade bonds and high-yield bonds. Investment-grade bonds come with a higher credit rating, implying less risk for the lender. They're also considered more likely to make interest payments on time than non-investment-grade bonds. Now, high-yield bonds have a lower credit rating, implying higher risk for the investor. These are typically issued by companies that already have more debt to repay than the average business or are contending with financial issues themselves. 
Newer companies may also issue higher yield bonds because they simply don't have the track record yet to garner a high credit rating. In return for this added risk, high-yield bonds typically pay higher interest rates than investment-grade bonds, thus the name high-yield. <laughs> now, getting into the second type of bonds, you've got what's called municipal bonds or muni bonds. They're issued by states, cities, counties, and other government entities so that the entity itself can raise funds. Sometimes these funds are to pay for daily operations like maintaining roads and sewers and other public services. Sometimes the funds are to finance a new project like the building of a new school or a highway or putting in a new sewer system or something. Muni bonds can also be broken down into two subcategories, revenue bonds, and what's called general obligation bonds. Revenue bonds are backed by the revenues from a specific project, such as highway toll. General obligation bonds are not secured by any asset, but are instead backed by the, quote-unquote, full faith and credit of the issuer, which has the power to tax residents in order to pay bondholders should that ever be a necessity. In other words, Muni bonds work similarly to corporate bonds in that the holder receives regular interest payments and the return of their original investment. But muni bonds do come with one additional advantage in that the interest on a muni bond is exempt from federal income tax. It may also be exempt from state and or local taxes if the holder resides in the community where the bond is issued. However, muni bonds often pay lower interest rates than corporate bonds do because of that tax break that the bondholders get. Now, the third type of bond we're going to talk about are U.S. Treasuries. Now, treasury bonds are the type of bonds you usually hear about in the news. As the name suggests, these are issued by the U.S. Treasury on behalf of the federal government. They carry the full faith and credit of the government, which has historically made them a very stable and popular investment. In fact, U.S. Treasuries tend to be so stable that economists often use them as a bellwether for the overall health of the entire economy. Now, there are several types of U.S. Treasury bonds. You've got the Treasury bills or short-term bonds that mature in a few days to up to 52 weeks. Treasury notes are longer-term securities that mature in terms of two, three, five, seven, or maybe even 10 years. And then you've got the U.S. Treasury bonds typically mature in 20 or 30 years. Both notes and bonds pay interest every six months. Finally, we have Treasury Inflation Protected Security, or TIPS, and they call them TIPS. These are notes and bonds whose principal is adjusted based on changes in the Consumer Price Index, which tracks inflation. Interest payments are made every six months and are calculated based on the inflation-adjusted principle. That means if inflation goes up, so too does the principle in the bond, thereby increasing the amount of interest that is paid. However, if inflation goes down, the principle goes down too, thereby decreasing the interest rate. Now, if you'd like to have a discussion with Noel about anything that we've discussed, you can call us at 800-277-0025.
and we can set up a phone call with you and Noel. Or if you'd like to come into the office for a free complimentary first-time appointment, you can reach us at that same number to get that appointment scheduled, 1-800-277-0025. Now, Noel, we hear a lot of bond terms thrown around. What do all these mean? Well, one common frustration that investors normally have is dealing with all the terms and jargon used in the financial industry. If you've ever heard two Wall Street types talking, it can be like listening to a bad episode of Star Trek. You know, just don't understand what they're saying. Bonds in particular come with a lot of lingo, which can be very intimidating for investors. So let's break down a few common terms you're likely to hear in the media or if you're thinking about investing in bonds. Now, as I said earlier, when you buy a bond, you are lending money to the issuer. And in return, the issuer promises to pay you a specified rate of interest on a regular basis and then return the principal when the bond matures. Here are four of the most common bond terms. Issuer, par value, coupon rate, and maturity. Now, let's discuss those four terms in a little bit more detail. First, let's discuss issuer. This is the entity that issued the bond to borrow money. Generally, issuers include local and state governments, the U.S. Treasury, and the corporations that issue corporate bonds. Whoever it is, it's their responsibility to make interest payments and repay the amount you initially loaned to them. Second, of course, is the term par value. This is the amount that must be returned to the investor when the bond matures. Essentially, the investor's principal. Note that many bonds are issued at par value of $1,000, so it doesn't matter whether the bond matures in 10, 20, or 30 years. Whenever that time is up, the issuer would still pay back the initial par value. You may also occasionally see the term face value instead of par value. The next term is coupon rate. Now, this is the bond's interest rate paid by the issuer at specific intervals. For instance, let's say you loaned a $1,000 bond with a 5% coupon rate. The issuer would then pay you $50 in interest each year until maturity. Some bonds pay interest semi-annually, so in this case, you would be paid $25 every six months. You may be wondering how coupon rates are determined. There are two main factors, the amount of time to maturity and the credit rating of the issuer. Typically, bonds that take longer to mature come with higher rates. After all, investors want compensation for not getting their principal back until a later time. Conversely, bonds with shorter maturities usually pay lower interest rates. Furthermore, if the issuer has a low credit rating, they will usually pay higher interest rates to compensate for the additional risk. So, why is it called a coupon rate, you might ask? Well, once upon a time, investors were given actual physical coupons to redeem to collect their interest payment. The fourth term is maturity. This term is pretty simple. You've probably figured it out already. This is the amount of time until the bond is due to be repaid. A 10-year treasury bond, for instance, matures 10 years from the date that it was issued. 
The next term is rating. As I just mentioned, some issuers have higher or lower credit rating. An issuer rating signifies the bond's credit quality. Here in the United States, there are three main rating services. You've got the Standard and Forward Rating Services, Moody's Investor Services, and the Fitch Rating. Each agency rates bonds based on the issuer's potential ability to pay both interest and principal in a timely fashion. Now, let's get to the last term. And I'm sure you're probably tired of listening to me now, but we're going to finish this up. And that's price. Hopefully, all these terms so far have been easy to understand because here is where it gets a little tricky. As you know, bonds can be traded on the open market. For example, let's say Fred buys a bond, but before matures, he decides to sell it to Fran. The price is the amount for which the bond is traded. Sometimes bonds trade at their par value, but they don't have to be. For instance, imagine Fred bought his bond for $1,000, but trades it to Fran for only $950. The bond's price then is not 1000 but $950, and is said to be traded at a discount. On the other hand, if Fred trades it for $1,050, then Fran would be buying it at a premium. So why would a bond's price differ from its par value? You know, I've wondered that, and a lot of people have wondered that. Here's the reason. Sometimes it's due to rising or falling interest rates. For example, if interest rates around the country rise above what they were when the bond was issued, that bond would no longer be as valuable. That's because the old bond's coupon rate would be lower than what an investor could get if they bought a new bond. So if Fred wanted to sell his bond before maturity, he would have to do so at that discount. But there is one final bond-related term you should know, and that's yield. And we're going to cover that in just a bit. Now, if there are any questions that you might have been afraid to ask, you can send us an email to asknoel at theprovestperspective.com. That is A-S-K-N-O-E-L at theprovestperspective.com. And provest is P like Paula, R-O-V like Victor, E-S-T. Another thing you can do is give us a call. It's 800-277-0025. Ask us any questions that you might have whether it's a questions that we've not covered or maybe further clarification on something that we have covered. We would love to help you with that. Again, that phone number is 1-800-277-0025. And don't forget that you can access the complete free report questions you were afraid to ask at our website, which is www.theprovestperspective.com. We've covered a lot of information on the past few podcasts, so it might be a little bit too much to remember. So just download the report, and that way you've always got that information on hand no matter whether you're considering investing, you know, in bonds or stocks or whatever it has, you'll have that information at your fingertips. Again, that report is questions you were afraid to ask, found at theprovestperspective.com. All right, Noel, so what are bond yields and why do they matter? Okay, financial terminology, Pamela, can be slippery and it can be hard to remember what all those different terms mean. But keeping all these in mind, the definition of a bond's yield is this the return or amount an investor expects to gain 
until the bond matured. That sounds simple, right? Well, it's not quite as simple as it sounds. While that may be the definition, the actual ramifications of yield go a bit deeper. To understand this, we first need to understand the most basic way yield is calculated. A bond's current yield can be found by dividing the bond's annual interest rate payment, or the coupon rate, by its price. For example, imagine Fran buys a bond with a 10% coupon rate for its original $1,000 price. The bond's yield would be 10%. Now imagine that Frank buys that same bond from Fran a year later, but for $75 more. Since the bond is being traded for more than its par value, in this case, $1,075, the yield would go down and it would only be 9.3%. After all, if Frank pays more than Fran for the same level of interest rate, he's getting a lower return on his investment than Fran did, who paid less money than he did for the bond. However, if the bond trades for less than par, say 975, then the yield goes up to 10.25%. In other words, yields and bond prices are inversely related. If the price of a bond goes up, its yield will go down. If the price goes down, the yield will go up. Essentially, by comparing the current yield of different bonds, you can see which bonds are expected to give more or less of a return on your investment. The higher the yield, the better the expected return. To be honest, it doesn't mean that an investor should just look for bonds with the highest yields and call it a day because high yield bonds tend to come with more risk than low-yielding bonds do. As I said earlier, issuers with lower credit ratings will often pay higher interest rates since there is some risk they won't be able to repay the principal by the time the bond matures. Investors must always balance risk versus reward when choosing where to put their money. And that holds true for bonds, too. Now, you may be wondering, why do I hear so much about bond yields in the media? And well, that's because many analysts and economists use the yields to project which direction interest rates will move in the future, and by extension, which way the overall economy will move. You see, when interest rates are expected to rise, bond prices tend to go down. That's because an existing bond's coupon rate will no longer be as attractive as that of the new bond, meaning the owner would need to sell the bond at a discount. And when interest rates are expected to fall, bond prices rise. For that reason, when yields rise across the entire bond market, analysts often see it as a signal that interest rates may rise soon too. And when the yield on short-term bonds rises above that of long-term bonds, this can indicate that investors are concerned about a possible recession. We've covered a lot of concepts in a very short amount of time, and hopefully everything's made sense. But to be honest, we're just barely scratching the surface of this topic, which is precisely why Noel started this series on questions you were afraid to ask. See, the world of investing can be a complicated one, and sometimes it's more complicated than it needs to be. You'll often see terms like yield thrown around in the media without any explanation or context. 
And many investors, even experienced ones, can find all of this lingo very confusing and even intimidating. And you shouldn't need a PhD to understand what's being said. You just need to break it down and translate it into plain English. Now, I want to give you some quick background information for those that might be listening to us for the first time here on the Provost Perspective. Noel Swain started Provost Wealth Advisors 40 years ago in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and he's been a certified financial planner, also called a CFP, for 30 years. Noel has an active management style that is based on following trends so that he can react accordingly. Now, we do pride ourselves on providing information. That's why Noel has spent this entire podcast telling you more about bonds. Not something we actually get into as much. It's something that we do offer. But active management is something that Noel does specialize in. So, Noel, can you tell us just a little bit more about your active management strategy here at ProVest? Yeah, sure. I know that this talk of bonds we've done today has been sort of a dry subject. It's not very glamorous, and it's sort of work-a-day type of a discussion. But when we get together, when we're working for a client, and we're looking at the way that we manage our assets, yes, in some of our portfolios, we do use bonds. But we prefer to use stocks or what's called exchange-traded funds or ETS whenever we can. And we do that because we have found that over the years, the stock market has produced a better return than bonds. And so what we do as far as our active management is concerned is we are a trend-following financial organization. We follow the trends to see how we can go about taking advantage of not only the ups in the market, of which we're going to get most of the time, but then sometimes there are some extended periods of downs in the market. And so we want to take advantage of them too. And we do this, and we've talked about this in the past, and we'll talk about it again. But we use it using leverage which means that we have no problem borrowing to enhance the return. Or we can use inverse strategies, which means that we bet against the market. If the market goes down, we go up. And that's something that very few people, very few companies in our area use. We are in Spartanburg. We work with people all over the upstate. And, of course, we have clients in many different states, too. But the whole idea is designed so that whatever you're investing in, that it's invested in the right place at the right time. And that's what active management is all about. It's about being active. It's about seeing which way the market is going and making sure that we're invested rightly, either in the market or out of the market, based on whether it's going up or it's going down. And that's the way that we go about doing this. We also have a wealth toolkit, which contains a retirement planning tool, the risk assessment tool, which we use with our active management, and we have a social security analysis tool, and we use all of those to help get people ready for retirement. So, Noel, can you talk with us for a few minutes about how you use the wealth toolkit to get your clients ready for retirement? Well, a lot of times when somebody comes in, they are about to retire. They've told me, well, I got to do something with this 401k, and I want to make sure that I do the right thing. And so we take a look and say, okay, our questions are going to be more, not just about the money that you have in that 401k and those other places that you've got money, but it's going to be questions about 
what do you want to do in retirement? Where do you want to go? How much is it going to cost you to live in retirement? And do you have enough assets to fund the retirement that you want? And you would be surprised the directions those kinds of discussions can go in whenever we meet with someone and we go over these questions because, you know, there's sometimes people have been waiting all their life to travel and they really want to do it. They want to get on a boat and go on a around the world cruise. Well, let's talk about how to fund it. Let's talk about how we can get that money it's going to take to be able to get on that cruise and go around the world and take those excursions and do the things that you need to do and come back and not be hurt. Those are the things that we discuss. And we've got a wealth toolkit that one of the tools in it is our retirement planning software. And it is a software that is so absolutely second to none because it will tell you what's the chance of the money that you have working out, giving you the income that you want to have. That's what it does. It gives you almost down to the dollar what you need to produce. And with all due respect, it's one of the best programs I have ever witnessed for letting somebody know if you've got a 75% chance of hitting your goal, it'll tell you. If you've got a 95% chance of hitting your goal, it'll tell you that too. And that's why I like the way that we go about doing our plans for our clients more than anyone else that I know. So looking at our wealth toolkit, which we developed in-house and is one of the best programs that we know for making sure that people are able to retire when they want to at the income that they want. Now, if you have any questions about how ProVest manages their funds or how Noel uses the Wealth Toolkit to help formulate a retirement plan, you can call us at 800-277-0025. Whether it's a question for Noel or an appointment that you'd like to set up, you can reach us at 800-277-0025. And if you'd like more information about the active management strategy or the Wealth Toolkit, we've got a couple of videos on our website. Feel free to browse around and watch those. We've also got several free reports on Social Security, retirement, investing, even today's featured report, questions you were afraid to ask. All of this can be found on our website, www.theprovestperspective.com. Once again, that website address is www.theprovestperspective.com. Hopefully, you're starting to feel a little more educated on the basics of bonds. On the next Provost Perspective podcast, Noel is going to answer some questions that many investors have regarding modern investing trends. But until then, remember, don't just invest. Provost. And thanks for listening to the Provest Perspective Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information on Noel Swain CFP or this episode, visit theprovestperspective.com. These are the opinions of Noel Swain CFP and not necessarily those of Cambridge and are for informational purposes only. Discussions in the show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Provest Wealth Advisors in Cambridge are not affiliated. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Investing involves risk depending on the type of investments there may be varying degrees of risk investors should be prepared to bear loss including total loss of principal